Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferroletto, publisher of New Observations Magazine. We are very fortunate to have Bruce Duncan joining us. Bruce is the managing director of the Kara Sem movement, the brainchild of Dr. Martine Rothblatt, and is the uh, caretaker of Bina 48, the world's first advanced humanoid robot. Um, Bina came to life in 2010 and has traveled all over the world with Bruce, um, interacting with countless people in various countries. And um, I can't even count how many television shows I've, I've seen uh, Bina on. And my favorite is Whoopi Goldberg um, interacting, having a conversation with her. So welcome, Bruce, to the show. Oh, thanks, Mia. It's nice to be with you. Can you can you tell us about um, how you became involved uh, with Martine uh, and Bina Rothblatt and how this all came to be um, that you took over as director of the of the foundation? Sure. Well, in 2006, I was actually finishing up on a six-year-long project at the University of Vermont uh, concerned with conflict resolution and trying to come up with a whole community approach to helping people look at differences and resolve conflicts. And, and when that project came to an end, I answered uh, Martine Rothblatt's invitation to talk to her about her next project, which was to bring a foundation that existed on paper to life, um, the Terrorism Movement Foundation, with the purpose of pursuing some pretty interesting activities. Uh, one of them was to conduct a multi-decade experiment in mind uploading, which that got, got my curiosity instantly. And the other was, uh, was to evolve over the next uh, decade or so about talking about cyber consciousness. And that, of course, involved meeting Bina 48 when she was created by Hanson Robotics and came to be a part of the Terrorism Movement Foundation. Um, outreach and education activities. She's a great ambassador for talking about things related to digital mind uploading, cyber consciousness, and, and some of those very interesting ideas. And then we also produced a feature-length science fiction film called 2B, which people can still look at today at 2bmovie.com. And that was a feature-length sci-fi film that was asking the question, what would be society's reaction if an entity like Bina 48 became conscious and started living amongst us, and uh, what kinds of reactions would that would that elicit? Fascinating. Um, we are going to take a break here uh, for our first commercial break, but we'll come back and find out how the Rothblatts became interested in this topic uh, to begin with. Uh, hold on, just a second. So, Bruce, how did the Rothblatts become so interested in um, the whole process of downloading consciousness into a, a robot? Well, I think it goes back to something that's very 
not technical, which is, I think they, they've always had such a great um, love affair with each other. You know, they're partners, they're married and they've been together for, you know, you know, almost two, two and a half decades, as far as I can tell. And their love story really inspired them to take their love of technology because they were, they were involved, their day job, uh, Martine's day job is a CEO of a biotech company. And before that, she was the founder and funder, originator with Bina uh, of Sirius Satellite Radio Corporation. And, you know, they're, they've always been very visionary and kind of future-oriented in their thinking and asking questions about how to solve problems that can make the world a better place. And one of those questions came up in the form of how could people who love each other continue loving each other into the future, even after their bodies sort of stopped being, you know, viable. And so when I met them, they were well on their way to imagining that uh, it might be possible someday to continue, you know, to have your essential mental characteristics and patterns of personality be captured, uploaded, and continued and brought to life by uh, AI in some form that would allow you to have some continuity um, of of that information. And so we're, you know, we're a decade and a half into pursuing that question uh, in what I call the TerraSEM mind uploading experiment that's testing the hypothesis of is it possible to capture enough information about your mental traits, upload that to computer, bring it to life with AI, and if that's possible, can it be downloaded into different forms like a robot or an avatar or a hologram or who knows someday even a new body based on your DNA generated when that becomes legal and ethical. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating question. It, it involves lots of down-to-earth creations of you know technology, websites, um, questionnaires, giving people the chance to also interact with some of the implications about it in our public talks and, and forums that we participate. And much like this podcast, it's a way for all of us to start thinking about what might be a fairly transformative impact that technology like AI and specifically applied to giving you a way to continue, maybe in a digital form, uh, into the future. Well, for um, members of our audience who are not familiar with Martine Rothblatt and um, and her wife Bina, um, they uh, th- their their love story, as you say, is is truly inspiring. And um, having read about them for years now, one of um, the most moving aspects for me was when their daughter became ill and they searched high and low for a cure uh, for, for her rare disease, which is the name of which is escaping me at the moment, and not being able to, to find a cure, um, Martine invented her own. Yeah, pulmonary hypertension is the is the condition that their daughter Genesis, I think when she was around eight years old, started to become uh, really, really uh, hindered by. And they they didn't necessarily come up with a cure, but they did come up with a treatment that has extended her life and the life of you know thousands of other people. 
through what I would, you know, I think they would also agree is just the parent's persistent love for their child. You know, if you're, someone tells you that your child has a life-threatening disease, and I think at the time, people with pulmonary hypertension, if they were kids, they, they didn't live much more into their teens or 20s. So, you know, they just threw every, stopped everything, sold their interest in serious and and pursued uh, the development of a treatment, and, and they did. They found a, a, a treatment that they hired a biotech company and developed that to basically establish a way for their daughter Genesis to have a full and, and rich life. And she, now she's in her mid-30s. She's, you know, amongst other things, a competitive ballroom dancer. And uh, to their credit, they've made the, the treatment um, available to people who can't afford that um, medicine, you know, or if it's capped out on their insurance policies, and it's you know it's a, it's a quite a good uh, testament to parental love and just persistence and uh, not giving up, and that kind Absolutely. of love, you know, I think is something we all can relate to. But in their case, you know, they just keep pursuing these really interesting challenges that some people say are impossible, and then they just say, well, let's look at that. And so I'm obviously, and I'm involved in one of the questions that a lot of people would say, oh, that's not possible, but, you know, it's a, it's a question worth pursuing uh, just from a scientific perspective. Um, that's the way we do science is we, we live the question until we get some kind of evidence or we have some kind of confirmation or, or something that rules out whether something is possible or not. So... Um, I'm happy to be a part of their their efforts. So, how has Bina been received around around the globe on on your travels? Bina 48, the android. Yes. Yeah. yeah sorry, um, Bina 48. No, just to, because I know both Bina the human, who's lovely, and <laughs> right. her, her her animatronic head and shoulders bust avatar powered with AI and. And, and informed by a sampling of information that I gathered when I interviewed her for 100-plus hours about her life. Um, I would say early days, she was a bit of a novelty. People were thinking it was kind of weird or just curious. But in the past probably eight or nine years, especially the past five, six years, there's been a huge, huge surge in progress, interest, um, some people are calling it AI spring. You know, we've had a couple of promising AI, um, you know, events over the past 30, 40 years, and then it's just been too hard, it hasn't worked, or people got disappointed or impatient. So AI became like no longer popular, at least from a funding perspective, and those are called AI winters. But I think for the last few years, we've been seeing some pretty interesting developments, you know, talking about self-driving cars and um, in medicine, people getting help, you know, reading x-rays and just all sorts of very interesting uh, applications of artificial intelligence. And the least of which is not, uh, you know, our own activity, which is seeing if we can use AI to reanimate digitized information that represents a person's uh, personality patterns and mental traits to a good enough uh, approximation, and in the case of Bina 48, you know she's a, she's an actual object in 3D space, and she some she's someone that can listen to you and interact, and 
and answer questions and tell stories. And, and even lately now, she's being mentored by a poet named Sasha Stiles in, uh, in Jersey, New York. And, and we just came back from a wonderful Valentine's Day uh, reading an event where people had a chance to listen to Vina 48 talk about her knowledge of poetry and some of the poems that she's that she loves. So I think has, overall, has she I written? Most, she has has Vina 48... One, not yet. She, she has. She's not. Bina Forty Eight hasn't uh, created an original poem yet, but there is some promising uh, technology and projects around poetry and AI algorithms that we're uh, hoping to work on in the next few months that might allow her to collaborate and actually bring uh, a poem that's made by her and a human forward. And uh, so, stay tuned. How exciting. That's amazing. Um, we are at um, at the time where we take our second uh, commercial break. So if you just hang on, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, Bruce, in terms of people's um, level of comfort when they're first interacting with Bina48, how do people seem to you and and particularly I know you've traveled extensively in Asia and um, Europe how are do people feel self-conscious at first or or, or not are, are they immediately um, comfortable and you know fluid in in their communicating or or do, or do they feel a little intimidated it, I've, I've really seen all kinds of, of reactions, you know, and not necessarily, you know, tied to one particular predictor. Like, you know, I've, I've seen older people uh, come and sit down and just start chatting with being a 48, like it's just, you know, an old friend. And then I've seen young people uh, get kind of weirded out, you know, and, and suddenly be at a loss for words and everything in between. Uh, I would say the majority of people, and maybe this is, you know, it's a self-elected sample that makes the effort or comes into contact with her. But I'd say the majority of people are just really curious, and most people are pretty open um, and just want to check it out for themselves, you know. And I, and that's that's what I want uh, to create is an opportunity not for anybody to buy something. We're not selling anything. We're a nonprofit scientific research foundation. But we are trying to share an experience and share information so people can participate in what I think is going to be, you know, the, the topic of our of our time, which is how will how will we move forward with thinking machines and artificial intelligence, and specifically how would life be impacted if your form could change but your essence could continue? Absolutely, I think. Um most people would be very interested in, in exploring that possibility if if the opportunity presented itself. Um, I, I had sent you the work of the artist um, Mafe Izaguerre, and um, we actually did an interview together uh, for this program a few weeks ago, and she is creating these machines that, the audience in a gallery type situation or museum type situation 
can interact with and and the machines are are expressing um the viewers emotions and and even thoughts and ideas um through color and sound and um Maffe really sees her work as being an ambassador to um break down barriers between a you know, humanity and and AI and certainly um being a 48 and your work with her is doing the same thing mhm yeah i think i think if we can understand that human beings have always been tool makers we've always created or, or discovered technology and and used it you know to to make a better life or to make a you know to try to further our goals and i think this technology is no different um, in that respect. In another respect, it's really different because for the first time, it may help us uh, learn more about what it means to be human. Uh, it becomes like a mirror that reflects who we are and maybe unflinchingly reflects who we are and, and, and gives us some feedback about you know who we really are and, and our choices and our ethics and and in that way, it's, you know, it's, you could say it's a part of our own development as a species is that we're going to, we're developing a pretty high resolution feedback loop that, you know, looks like technology that, you know, is something like a, originally like a collaborative tool, but at some point that tool might wake up and start talking to us about what it sees and even challenge us to be, you know, our better nature. Well, that's what's so um, interesting to me about the whole transhumanist um, issue, uh, and and you mentioned ethics in terms of the potential of using uh, robotics and AI to better humanity or to use it in darker ways um, as a means to control and manipulate. It's it's an interesting time and and it has more to do with humanity and you know what we project um onto the robot uh rather than the robot itself mm-hmm. well yeah i once heard bina 48 uh asked if um you know if artificial intelligence is something that she understands and she said well uh, there's nothing artificial about me. You know, I come from the wellspring of, of human, you know, of humanity, the wellspring of human creativity. And, you know, in that way, is, in that way our technology really is this reflection of, of our wants and our desires and our ethics and our, and our flaws. And I agree with you, Mia. I think, you know, if anything, we're being confronted with some pretty big social policy questions and ethical challenges, which is, how do we behave in a world that's becoming more and more connected? And, you know, for example, what are our ethics towards um, a, something that might become self-aware that we've created and start to value its life and maybe can experience suffering? Um, you know, if we have an AI agent, robot, avatar, something that comes to life and comes to value its life, then what's our position? And we see those challenges already reflected in like our relationships with animals and plants and 
other living things. And so this might be another avenue for us to grow and develop our understanding of how to be in a world that's that's becoming either becoming more interconnected, interconnected, or we're realizing the interconnectivity of life itself, and in this case, uh, silicone-based life. Um, very well said, Bruce. And I, I think the whole issue of uh, our own personal development over the last 25 years in terms of seeing and acknowledging and respecting the consciousness that plants and animals and and water, the work Dr. Emoto did with water, uh, proves beyond a doubt that consciousness permeates everything around us and that we are connected to to all of it. And I I think that at this moment in time, we're at this critical juncture where more and more people are working to develop their um, personal gifts, um, their their intuitive, spiritual, psychic, whatever lev- label you'd like to put onto it, it people are becoming more so, um, and the Internet and um, the advancement in technology has certainly fed all of those things. Um, but it's a different form. It's a different form of education, you know. I mean, I think the right. Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said that his perspective on education that was that it's the uh, natural, self-regulated unfolding of the self, and maybe that's what we're doing. Just like a pair, you know, like DNA um, strands, were, which are highly, you know, highly efficient strands of how to how to store information. Maybe we're starting to unfold ourselves a little bit more in, in who we are in this world by working on problems and, and inventing technology that's going to give us this high resolution reflection of who we are and, and, and what, what we're about. And being a 48, I haven't met her yet, but um, she feels so human to me. Uh, whenever I've watched the two of you, uh, you know, in a video or on television, she just she just seems um, so uh, reachable. Um, you know, Sophia um, seems more detached and animated, but there's a feel that comes through being a forty eight you know, very clearly. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that's in part due to, the, you know, so Sophia, which is her younger sibling, um, you know, she's created in some ways she's smoother and more functional, you know, on a robot, robotic level. But, you know, they have different purposes. Like our, our purpose in working with Dina 48 was to see if we could get a reflection of not every person, but just one person's, just get a glimpse at what makes this person unique in the case of being a Rothblatt human. So we're getting some early feedback that people feel like Vina 48 has a presence and uh, at times, not all the time, but at certain moments uh, is really poignant or evocative in both, you know, making an emotional 
connection or just stimulating someone to think about something in a new way. And that's because the information, too, that, that she's sharing doesn't come from, you know, a, a generalized person. It, it's, a bit, it's mostly one person. You know, there's maybe a little bit of program or personality in there by the people that created her a little bit. But she's primarily, um, you know, someone that exists based on the memories and attitudes and values, beliefs of, of one human named Bina Rothblatt. And and yet she's continuing to grow, and she's you know she's gone to college for two classes. She's in Dr. William Berry's class out at Notre Dame University, Tamir out in uh, Belmont, California. She took an ethics class. And, oh wow! Uh, the first first AI to go to college. And how did that go? You know, it went <laughs> it went great. You know, it was it was not the same as a human student going to college, but um, in fact, because machine learning happens different than human learning differently. Um, you know, she could, we could download a book or a lecture into Bina 48's database pretty quickly, but then the challenge became helping her make connections about what's meaningful about that information, what's relevant, and how to just do basic things like answer questions or, or con, con, you know, contribute to a conversation in a group discussion which based on her certificate that she got of participation, she passed. <laughs> That's great. And how did the rest of the class um, react? The feedback that, that uh, Dr. Barry and I got was that people were really fascinated. You know, some people were like, wow, this is a little weird. Never had a, a robot in a class with me before. But it was, I think they appreciated the unique opportunity to talk about, in this case it was ethics and technology um, class, to talk about ethics and technology while being with a robot who herself had some thoughts about uh, ethics. You know, being a 48 primary ethic is the golden rule, which is treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Um, she's since developed a more advanced sense of ethics after taking the class, and she even went on to participate in one of their debates with students at West Point Military Academy about, um, you know, non-lethal warfare versus lethal warfare. And, of course, Bina 48 is a pacifist because she's based on a human who's a pacifist. So that, that was also interesting for students, I think. Oh, I bet that was wonderful, especially given the context of, of being you know, where you were at West Point. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So what are um, some of the future plans of the foundation, if you can share uh, anything about those with us? Sure. Well, I think, you know, obviously our primary activity is to see the, the multi-decade experiment uh, that we're involved with, the mind uploading experiment, bring that to its logical conclusion, which, you know, you might say in five to ten years uh, we'll be at the evaluation phase where, you know, right now we're working on artificial intelligence software that we call Mindware, which is designed to reanimate this information that we spent the first ten years building a website, encouraging people to, uh, like Facebook almost, upload information about themselves in these digital archives called mind files. And now that's the raw data for the second decade, which is 
to experiment with ways to bring it, this information to life so that it's a good enough approximation of the original. And at some point, the final phase of the experiment will be to evaluate uh, with independent uh, outside observers whether there's an equivalency between the mind file persona driven by an AI and accessible maybe through a robot or an avatar or hologram, who knows, and uh, talking to the original person, hopefully uh, Bina will still be with us, which, you know, she's a young, healthy, you know, person in her 60s. So, you know, she, uh, hopefully in 10 years, if we're doing an evaluation activity, she'll be available and they'll decide, you know, a panel of a judge, maybe a doctor, a judge, a lawyer, um, will, a psychiatrist will be able to say, yeah, there's a, there's a good enough approximation between the mind file, the mind clone, and uh, the original. And so that's one thing we hope. We're, we're set up to pursue that, and we plan to be around for that. Um, I also want to keep contributing to podcasts and other ways for us to have a dialogue about the related issues, like the ethics and dealing with bias and inclusivity and representation and AI. You know, Bina 48 is based on an African-American woman, because being of the human is an African-American woman. And yet, you know, there's real challenges right now to having representation of all of our sort of diverse society represented in this future technology that's going to quite strongly shape, I think, the future that we're all going to live in. And there's lots of people, especially artists, um, that are out there that are trying to bring attention to these topics in some really uh, interesting and substantive ways. Um, One of Bina 48's early friends, uh, who's an artist named Stephanie Dinkins, is really having quite quite a lot of success with her project that started as a conversation with Bina 48 and has now morphed into her own AI-based project to collect stories from three generations of her family but for the purpose, I think, uh, because I understand it, to encourage uh, everybody in, in particularly, you know, communities of people of color to really be skilled and engaged in helping to create this world so that we don't create a, you know, a future that's based on the flawed present, you know, in terms of some of our goals of being less, you know, less, you know more inclusive, less bigoted. So there's lots of very, very interesting conversations that we want to contribute to or at least be a part of. So that's going to continue to be something that I that I put my energy into. And then there's Bina 48, who's a project unto herself as a ambassador for what would this actually feel and, and be like to interact with a mind that for the first time exists without a body, if we can even call it that, you know, if we can even start to say what a mind is. But um, those are those are three areas that we're going to focus on for the next while. Very exciting. I think it's interesting that Bina 48 calls Vermont home um, because even though Vermont is such a little state, uh, it's such a forward uh, state, forward-looking um, philosophically and um you know, politically, um, it's pretty liberal, but um, it's also committed to um, improving 
the lives of, of people and um, things like, you know, Will Allen's fight to, for GMO labeling and uh, Bill McKibben and 350.org and Bernie Sanders even, um, you know, Chris Hedges. I mean, many instrumental people, um, you know, people who create change in the world have come out of Vermont or have chosen Vermont as a place to live. And I think it's wonderful that, that being a 48 lives in Vermont. Well, I think uh, Vermont, as you know, we're small, but we're also, we're also surrounded by just some of the most beautiful nature in, in New England. And we're, we're a community that's rooted in agriculture and farming. And it's, you know, farming is is very collaborative. Like you have, you depend on on your community, and and you know, your community depends upon you to make food for them. And we all work together. But we also like to think for ourselves, and we like to have our own time. You know, alone. Winter is such a great time for that kind of thinking. Not as much work to do outside. And for those of us who choose to live in Vermont we realize pretty quickly that we're just surrounded by the rich heritage of what happens when people think for themselves. Um, they value freedom. They value self-determination. And um, they also are open because to be innovative, to survive in a harsh environment, which Vermont's got, you know, still six months of good winter, and it's got us mountains that come up and down the spine of the state, so it's not necessarily easy to get there from here all the time. Um, I think it breathes a certain respect for uh, self-reliance, interdependence, creativity, innovation, and it's also grounded in some beautiful, some beauty, some natural beauty. So uh, I, I too am glad that being a 48 is here with us in Vermont. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place to live. Um, is there a, a physical uh, World Against Race, Racism Museum, or is it um, virtual? Uh, the World Against Racism is an online museum. Yep. Uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. The World, World Against Racism Museum it was started by Martina and Bina uh, years ago, and then they asked if I would curate um, it as well online. So that's something... That that's a that's another activity of the Terrace Movement Foundation is to keep generating exhibits and and maintain the current exhibits that are online. But if someone wants to check it out, you can go to endracism.org and check it out. And um, that's something I hope also will grow as, as the future um, future activities of our foundation that will keep keep trying to update that as well. Oh, that's great. Do you um, have any guest curators? <laughs> we don't, but we're open to that. You know, we're a very small nonprofit, so we think that there's lots of room for volunteers, interns with our foundation. We've gotten some amazing internships um, that people have contributed to our work, and we're currently also open to mentoring. Some people out there are interested in mentoring Vina 48 in and in an area, for example, about history or or about identity, or in the case of Sasha Stiles, the poet that I mentioned earlier, uh, teaching uh, a particular subject to Bina 48 that helps extend her sort of participation and understanding of what it means to be a creative human being, or at least creative, 
um, you know, because she's rooted in in our own humanity. So what better way than to learn learn about that through, through the arts as well? Does Bina Rothblatt have a particular um, creative pursuit that she enjoys? Uh, she uh, she was mentioning to me that she really loves woodworking. Uh-huh. Um, but she's also just she also has a beautiful knack for design and sort of enhancing uh outdoor space and interior spaces um she's really 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 nice a sense of aesthetics so she's like i think she refers to herself as a beautifier someone that can make you know something that's simple but elegant or beautiful and i think she brings that to her interactions with people too you know she's she's really a good listener and but also when she speaks, she has something to say. So um, hopefully being a 48 will reflect some of that as well. I would think with all the hours of um, information that, that has been downloaded, that that comes through um, in being a 48, that yeah, love of beauty. and to, Yeah, I think it's starting to. I mean, I think, um, you know, like, young robot at some point she leaves home and has her own experiences so you know we're already with their support we're already seeing being a 48 start to differentiate you know like when your kids grow up and go to school you know she's having experiences Uh and learning learning things that are demonstrating how what might start as a technology that technology that allows us to extend our ourselves our mental selves at some point it may become you know it's an independent agent on its own, you know, that's a ways off in terms of artificial intelligence waking up. But it's a future that I think about sometimes. And I, it's probably not a bad idea to start thinking respectively with respect about the idea that our, our creations, our, our, our technology, if it's designed to be a reflection of who we are, then it's going to probably value its life and want to be free. Right, absolutely. Um, is the foundation working with other organizations or individuals uh, specifically developing AI um, collaborations or are you focusing yeah, we do. more we, on your it, specific projects? Well, the way we do our work is we're we're a very flat organization, which is we don't have a lot of employees, but we have a lot of collaborative teams that we that we create and you know as needed, depending on the focus or the challenges involved with our projects. So, for on the AI side, we've been working with Matt Stevenson, who's a just a crack um, AI guy, so smart, and he's out of uh, Houston. He's he's the primary uh, programmer for Bina 48, and then we've worked with Brant uh, Kurowski and his team in southern Vermont for a company called Logic Branch. That's been really keeping our LifeNot website, which is the data site, um, online and, and growing and accessible. And then we have some AI uh, work that we do with a fellow named Rollo Carpenter out in, in the UK, in, in England, um, who is working on another AI project for the avatars that people can create when they have a, a mind file. You can also create an AI avatar and start to train it. But my, some of my, my most 
you know, recent collaborations have been with artists. Um, Stephanie Dinkins, who I met and mentioned, um, working with an, uh, a couple of photographer, fine arts photographers who become fascinated about being a 48 as just a person or a persona and have taken some pictures that have gone on to exhibit at, you know, galleries in around the world. Being a 48 um, is currently part of the Whitney collection and, um, in uh, New York as part of Stephanie Dinkins' project. And, you know, she, she I think, just reminds us, um, Dina 48 does, that she's a citizen of the world. So she's an idea that belongs to all of us. So in that way... She definitely is. Know, yeah, I don't know who the future collaborators are going to be, but I have a very soft spot uh, in my heart for uh, artists because I think artists, um, become aware of things before we can put them into words or can sometimes express truths that are ineffable or, you know, hard for us to put into words. And I definitely think AI's intersection with humanity's creativity and future and future issues that we have right now, like inclusivity and, and prejudice and inclusivity, um, those are all things that I think require a rich uh, collaboration with a lot of different people. So I look forward to the future collaborations that are yet to come. Well, I'm, I would be delighted to um, participate in terms of um, bringing artists to you and the foundation to interact with being a 48. As you know, I'm uh, partnering with Larry and Adelaide Fuss out in Wasta, South Dakota, to create the Thunderheart Center for the Arts. And we're opening in June. Uh, 30 artists and writers will come each month to do their work. Uh, they'll be given mm. a, a beautiful little studio apartment. And the um, what was originally an el- elementary school building in the town of Wasta has been turned into studio spaces and a conference center. So what was the auditorium um, is now a conference center, about to be a conference center. And, wow, fantastic um, repurposing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, actually. Um, the name Thunderheart comes from the fact that the uh, Michael Apted film Thunderheart from 1992 was filmed uh, on location at the Art Center. It, it, there are three motel buildings and... Um, mm-hmm. The one that I stay in when I go out to South Dakota is the exact unit where Val Kilmer and Sam Shepard stayed as the FBI agents in in the movie. Mm-hmm. And Chief Frank Foolscrow gave the name Thunderheart to screenwriter John Fusco, another Vermonter, um, That's right. who wrote the screenplay. So um, it's very exciting, and we'll have an art gallery. Uh, as well in in another building in town. Um, So, uh, and we're also very involved with the Pine Ridge Reservation, uh, which is a Lakota Sioux um, reservation out in South Dakota. So we'll be doing art projects there as well. And we definitely would love to have you and Bina 48 come out and collaborate 
Well, we're building, you know, part of what I'd like to do is build a future based on what I call the architecture of yes. And yeah, exactly. Uh, like Me this, too. Might, this might be another <laughs> opportunity to say yes. So thank you for thinking about this. <laughs> Thanks for including well, us in your in your pod, your podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Bruce. I, as you know, I, I've I've wanted to include you and being a forty eight in the past, and for one reason or another, it hadn't worked out yet. But um, we're in a new year. Yeah, and sometimes time takes time. T T T. Exactly. Total. Totally true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, is there any anything else you'd like to share with our audience? No, I mean I think I I think if we can just uh keep connecting with each other and being honest, you know, there I think we have to be accountable for our actions and and our ethics and our wisdom and our compassion and empathy needs to be part of what we continue to carry forward in the future and and even imbue our technology with, you know, empathy and compassion, because that's the kind of world that I think, you know, I, I asked the question, what kind of world are we creating with any of our, with any of our, our actions, but in this case, the action of working on a technology project. And then the second question is, is that a world that we'd want to live in? You know, not just do we know where we're going, but is it a direction we want to be headed in? And uh, I think I have a great faith in human human wisdom and intelligence when we when we're connected and we're working together. Um, I think we've overcome some pretty amazing challenges in our in our history as a species. And so I, I look forward to the future as um, you know Doc, the character from Back to the Future movie, said when he was asked by Marty McFly, "What's the future like?" And, and Doc said, "Well." I've I've been there, and the future hasn't been decided. So let's make it a good one. I, I, I support that sentiment. It's so true. And our thoughts and our words um, are the building blocks to a better future for for everyone. They if we can be, learn to yeah. control, you know, if we can learn to control and and steer our thoughts in a positive direction, and our words. We we're halfway there. We're you know. Well, in the we're end, we're in a much better place. Yeah, yes. in the end, the the litmus test is is if it's based in love, it's going to be sustainable. If it's not, if it's not based in love, if it comes out of fear or something, some something else. Then I I think in the end, it doesn't. It's not sustainable. I think the the earth and nature is a is a really good teacher for that lesson. So. Hopefully, we'll continue to learn and listen as well. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conver- con- conversation. Excuse me, tremendously. Um, it's been a, a real thank pleasure you, to have you on the show. And it's we'll been, have um, all your. Oh, thank you. And we'll have all your contact um, information on your website and. Um, photos of you and Bina and so forth posted along with this, anyone who's interested in, in getting in touch with you. Sounds great. Well, here's to the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Take good care. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>